0: markets, speculation, and risk.
1: This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fyfield. Welcome. What's up? How you doing? Welcome to episode 95, folks. I'm pleased you could be here. And let me briefly introduce my guest, Uh, then we'll jump right into the interview. So, this week I spoke with Nico, who asked me to keep his last name private, though he does go by at inefficient MRKT on Twitter. Put simply, Nico is a day trader with a thirst for momentum. He predominantly trades low-priced stocks that have a tendency to move fast and far, and roughly 90% of his positions are on the short side. But the main reason why I brought Nico onto the podcast is I feel as though he has a really interesting story which many traders will be able to relate to on one level or another. The short of it is Nico placed his first trade in 2007, made 4X on his starting capital year one, and then slowly bled his trading account for the next seven years. He's now found his groove, but his overnight success was eight years in the making. The subjects we discuss during this episode are very much centered around Nico's journey and development as a trader and how full-time trading became more than just a pipe dream. Please enjoy, guys, I'm Aaron Firefield, and here is my guest, Nico. Nico, what's good, man? What's going on? Greetings. How are you? I'm doing all right. How about you?
2: Great. I just spent the day, and I set up my my new war rig. I got
1: oh, nice two. Two
2: forty-three inch screens. I had to buy a new table for my desk though, because they wouldn't fit before.
1: <laughs> Trader problems.
2: <laughs> <That's> yeah.
1: <laughs> nice. Two forty-three inch screens. That must be massive.
2: They are so cool. They're uh, they're Dell's new multi clients, and you can divide them into virtual screens. So, I've, even though I have two physical screens, I I have twelve usable virtual screens
1: okay okay that's really cool what were you using before
2: i had four 24 inch screens and uh uh 28 inch uh vertical like in in portrait yeah that i was using before but um this is much more
1: this is way better (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I I imagine it might take a little bit of getting used to, yeah?
2: It does, it does. It was actually a gift from my girlfriend. She got me, (laughs) greatest (laughs) gift of all, man. She got me one of these beasts for my birthday. And I started, I wanted to use it and my computer at the time was too slow. So I used that as an excuse to get a new machine uh, that could power it. And Man, I started using it. And I loved it so much. I was just like, I just need one more of these and I, that's all I need. And I ended up getting rid of all my other old, older monitors.
1: That's very cool. That's very cool. And what's the resolution on those? Are they 4K?
2: They are 4K. So you get the standard 3840 by
1: 2160 for each one. Okay. Nice, man. I like it. You'll have to, um, you'll have to share a photo with us. Definitely. Definitely. I plan on it. <laughs> and how'd you go with the desk? Did you find a desk that fit?
2: Gosh, you know, I was almost signed off, resigned to the fact that I might need a a custom desk because these things, these two monitors next to each other, are about seventy six inches wide, mm-hmm. and I was hard pressed to find a a wide enough desk that I could put both of them on without you know a ton of monitor hanging off the edge and it looking funny. But I found one desk at ikea that fit the prof- profile and uh i just mounted it to my elevator desk legs and we're good to go
1: okay okay good stuff man good stuff yeah well i look forward yeah, to seeing photo yeah. of it <laughs> thank you well before we go any further i want to say congrats on having um a really good month in august i think that was uh your best month to date yeah
2: it was thank you very very very
1: much um you must be stoked with that it feels
2: amazing yeah it feels really good
1: Cool. All right. Well, I know a little bit about your story, Nico. Um, And what I do know is that it's going to really inspire a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now. So I'm really excited to have you on and I'm looking forward to, you know, the conversation we're about to have. So let's get this underway. Take us back 10 years or so, right to the very beginning. What got you interested in trading? Where did you start?
2: I was working for a small boutique, uh, software development firm and out of, out of high school and I was developing software and th- the short story goes, I wanted to make more money and the owner was reluctant to pay me more money because he held it over my head that I stopped going to, I dropped out of college and I then had to decide whether I wanted to go back to school Or go into business for myself. And I wasn't too fond of school at the time because it just, I wanted to take computer science classes and whatnot, but it just, they wanted me to take all these other classes, all these other courses I I had a hard time taking. So I decided I didn't want to go back to school. So I went into business for myself and I knew computers. I knew how to, to develop software. So I started building my own business from nothing. And, um, one of the very first clients I had traded stocks, traded equities. And I'd never, I mean, I heard of the stock market before, but I never had much interest to the, to the degree that I would actually do something about it. Um, But to finally meet someone in my life that was familiar with it, uh, that was, that was a good starting point and gave me good exposure to it. And once I understood the kind of money that was that could be made, that that definitely held my attention.
1: So, how did you find out that this guy, uh, this client of yours, traded stocks? Did it just come up in conversation, or how'd that come about?
2: I eventually got comfortable enough to ask, "Hey, where's some of this money come from?" And that was basically the answer. You know, to have someone that you see that you respect in who's doing well for themselves and to ask them where their money comes from and that's the answer. That that was was enough for me to finally start getting very interested in it and and seeing what I could learn
1: about it. Okay, so it was obviously quite clear to you that he was doing quite well. I mean, was there any hints that sort of gave it away? Was he a a high-paying customer? I mean, what sort of gave it away that he was doing quite well?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was definitely making more from having him as one client alone than I was working at my software company that I worked for, for, you know, six or seven years. And he he was just my very first client. And, uh, I was, I knew I had to charge more than I was making at the software company, but it was a great situation for both of us. And I got compensated well and I got to learn a little bit, but you know, what I learned from him it was very different than than what I was ever really interested in. In the sense that he would he would trade big cap, you know, large cap stocks, and you know he was interested in Dow Jones components and and whatnot. And I just once I understood what volatility was and I could had a sense for it, you know, watching those stocks move one, two, or three percent in a day. You know, three percent's a big move for a stocks for stocks like those. That wasn't very interesting to me, but when I when I found out about, you know, cheaper price stocks, that was you know, wow, these things move 10, 20 you know, fifty, a hundred percent in a day. That was much more interesting to me.
1: Okay, so it's almost fair to say he was probably more of a, a longer term guy or a bit more of an investor, yeah. Definitely. Okay, cool. So walk us through your first year, like from when you became interested because of your client there until about one year on. So I think it was about one year before you actually placed your first trade with real money. What was going on inside of that year?
2: I was trying to learn as much as I could. And I was also going from when I was a software developer, I was living paycheck to paycheck and I had no savings at all. So for me to try to start out and with something in the market i needed to just i had some not only did i need to save money but i had some spent you know i had all these habits that i had to get in check for living paycheck to paycheck you know once i started having some income um decent income i had to at first i got excited and i was you know probably spending more than i should have but after a while i was like okay you know this is great having money but i really need to save some money because it would be great to open up a trading trading account at a brokerage and that's kind of where that first, that, what that, that first 12 months was after I learned about the stock market was me rearranging some habits and saving some money. And meanwhile, learning, I won't say as much as I could about the stock market, but definitely learning, learning some about the stock market and just kind of trying to be able to stand on my own two feet and get something going right from the start. But it took me a while, about, about a year.
1: Okay. Okay, so I just want to pick up on something you said there. I mean, it's a little bit off topic, but uh, you, you mentioned that you had to break some habits so that you weren't just going paycheck to paycheck. Now, yeah. you know, I know there are a lot of people who do this and it's it's kind of crazy to me to think that people do that, obviously, when they don't have to. What were some of the habits that you had to break? How did you break those habits so that you oh, weren't going paycheck <laughs> to paycheck?
2: Well... For years, I mean, for all the years I worked at the software company, I was paycheck to paycheck. So that means I was, whether I liked it or not, but I, I was programmed to spend my entire paycheck every month because that's all I needed every every bit of it to survive, to pay rent, to buy food, you know, living on my own, to, you know, whatever. I was a lot younger, but um, you know, I probably spent money on stuff I didn't need to spend it on. Oh, you know, that was a big habit for a long time. You know, seven years of uh, of doing that. So once I finally got some some decent income, here I was used to spending my entire paycheck. So after a few months, I, th- I think I stopped spending my new my new my new paycheck um, when I went into business for myself. Which, by the way, that wasn't an immediate thing. I I made the decision I'm going to leave my software company, but. I still worked there until I was able to get something going on the side and generate some, you know, a good chance of of possible income on the side before I jumped ship because I did have bills to pay just like everyone else, you know, food and rent and whatnot. But eventually it was, it was fine. But I, yeah, the habits thing, it was just, I was programmed to, to spend money and I was, it took me a while to realize, Hey, you know, just because you're making more money, you know, don't, you don't need to spend it all every month. Like save, save some and see what happens. You know, especially if you want to, you know, dabble in the stock market. Gotta gotta have some money to play with. It's gotta come from somewhere.
1: Absolutely. And I think like when you when you go into business for yourself, obviously you don't kind of have that that same sense of security as you do as a full time no, job, where you know you've got another paycheck not. coming next month. Um, and when you're out on your own, it's kind of like you don't know, don't necessarily know uh, where your next client is coming from or where your next um, uh, you know, when you're next going to send out your next invoice or whatever. So that
2: that is the truth, man. mm, Complete truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went about it much the same way because I used to run a graphic and web design business, which I kind of built up while I was running a, while I was doing my full time job.
2: Oh, nice. That's the best way for anyone that wants to do their own thing, work for themselves, go into business for themselves. Please. I mean, do not quit your job and just Do it. I mean, if you I I, I definitely think I'm of the opinion, at least for me, it's much better to keep getting your your paycheck from your your regular job and try and get something started on the side. Start. See if you can get something to stand up on its own while you still have a job and you still have that paycheck you can rely on before you cut loose, because uh, it makes it so much easier, at least psychologically. For me, it did.
1: And I mean that can even tie in neatly with trading too. So uh, there's, Definitely. there's many overlaps there. So do you recall your first trade? Like how did that go? What were the emotions like when you, you know, put on that position? What was it like?
2: Yeah, my first trade was in early 2007, and I bought some stock in Apple at the time, and. I don't know what my time horizon was, <laughs> how long I was planning to hold it, but I think I ended up selling it later the same day for maybe a hundred dollars, and I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. I just thought that was the easiest hundred dollars I'd ever made, <laughs> and that I'll, I'll never forget it. And even though it was only hundred dollars, man, it, it stuck with me this whole time, and that's uh, that was that was my first taste of it even though it was just Apple in a, in a, in a big cap stock, a large cap, you know, it was, uh, just getting paid that much without, you know, I couldn't even call it work. Uh, it, it, it definitely resonated with, with me and, and that was the kind of money I, I wanted to make, you know, compared with going to work, working in a cube or an office and, um, nothing wrong with that, but it's just, it's a different mentality. And once I got a taste of that, I definitely wanted more.
1: Yeah. I feel that for sure. And I think that's, uh, you know, a lot of people who are attracted to this. I mean, that's kind of what goes through their mind as well when they first come into trading. So, I mean, during that first year, what were some of the things you were learning about, you know, about the stock market? What were you reading? Uh, Where were you getting your information from?
2: Yeah. So back then I was using a charting platform called Telechart and Telechart's by a company called Warden Brothers. I guess they've been around forever apparently they, they had stock chart programs since before windows, you could get, uh, stock charts in they in DOS. They had a DOS program for stock charts and whatnot. But, um, anyways, I was using their, their windows program and started using that in 2007. And it had a built in chat window that I just, I've always been into chat. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to chat on IRC when I was younger in high school and whatnot. And I've just always been a big into chatting and whatnot. And, um, to have a, a chat room with a bunch of investors and traders, man, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And, you know, I got to see what people typed and, you know, who knew, who knew what and that type of thing. And, and that got my gears turning in all different sorts of directions. And it was really good for me to uh, learn about other people, what they were doing that helped clue me in. I was definitely uh, directed towards, self-directed towards technical analysis. I love the idea of looking at a stock chart and just going, okay, I know, you know, do I wanna buy this, sell this, or not touch it at all? And that appealed to me a lot, a lot more than the fundamental side. The fundamental side was very, man, it seemed like so much work. That seemed like going, having a regular job all over again because it seemed like you can just pour all these hours and hours and hours and hours of research, you know, maybe you study something for days, weeks, maybe even months, I don't know, you know, just one stock or a handful of stocks and you get to know them intimately and you understand their business. But uh, it just seemed like, at least back then to me, uh, it might take six months or a year for the market to realize whatever you may have realized doing your fundamental analysis. And even if you thought it was a great investment and you buy it, I mean, if the market doesn't know it's a great investment, maybe it takes nine months or nine years for Market to catch up to what you were thinking, if at all. So, just timing the market using stock charts, that was, that was, I mean, instant gratification. That, that was, I, I love that idea. <laughs> that, that, was, that was big for me.
1: Okay, cool, cool. So, you know, we're about one year in at this point. You've taken your first trade on Apple, you banked a hundred bucks, uh, your interest has been peaked in technical analysis. What was it like moving forward from there? Maybe walk us through the next year or a couple years on from that point. What was your experience?
2: Okay, so for the basically my first year since I placed my first trade, for the next twelve months after that, I was attracted to low price stocks, and I didn't even know what shorting was at the time, and I just thought, I thought the only thing I could do was go long, so I was just buying all kinds of low price stocks. I mean, on momentum, I mean, any, any stock that had had volume coming into it and it was on a rampage, you know, ripping up, I was, I was buying some, (laughs) I was chasing it. I was uh, you know, take your pick. I was, I was doing it all. I was doing anything I could to, to get long and, and buy some shares. And I don't know whether it was the, the micro cap market of 2007 or just pure luck, but, basically a year of doing that, I made about close to $20,000 doing that my first year. And that made me feel on top of the world. I thought, man, this this isn't so tough. I don't understand why everyone says, you know, (laughs) over 90% of traders fail. This is so easy. Oh man, you know, I'm going to do this rest of my life. This is uh. This is, this is, this is a walk in the park. I don't know what everyone's fussing about. How could, I don't know why they're having such a hard time doing it. It's easy for me. And, uh, that was probably the worst thing that could have happened to me, as you could imagine, because, um, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of of your question, but yeah, that's, that was basically my first year. So I I had a taste of, of large success from basically not knowing much of anything and, I think it was just like I said. I don't know whether it was the microcap market of two thousand seven, or just dumb luck, beginner's luck. But uh, I did. I had a, I had a good year in terms of profits.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean that that's a really decent first year to have made twenty thousand dollars. What did you? I mean, how much capital did you start with?
2: So my first account I opened with. I saved up five thousand dollars and opened up a Fidelity account, and uh, just slowly over time kept saving more money and adding more money, adding more money to it and, but I never really, you know, my first year I might've been a little strong with my position sizes just because I was doing so well and I didn't know any better, but I'm sure we'll get into it. But later on I, I toned my size down significantly and kept it in check once I realized I knew that I didn't know.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's get into that a little bit. So uh, the first year, uh, sorry, yeah, first year you made twenty thousand uh, dollars. You felt like you were on top of the world, and you nailed this trading thing. When did that begin to change? When did you realize that you hadn't quite nailed it yet?
2: Oh man, probably. I don't know. Not very. Not not soon after. Maybe the the next month after my first year. The short time after that, I just uh, everything I was doing that entire past twelve months. it wasn't working anymore either my luck ran out and or the market changed and what used to work no longer worked for whatever reason. And I, unfortunately (laughs) thoughtlessly just continued to be the junkie degenerate gambler at the slot machine. And I just kept pulling the handle. And even though it didn't, it stopped working. I just kept, I just kept doing it. I kept pulling the handle and I'd say the next 12 months after that, I had I had lost all of that all of that profit that I made the first 12 months, and I was just kind of left scratching my head the entire you know the entire way going. I don't understand why this isn't working. You know, maybe it's going to start working soon. It must start working soon because man, I know it definitely worked that first 12 months, and I'm not doing anything differently. And it was just the cold reality slammed me right in the face and <laughs> took it took all those profits away maybe even a little bit more that first year or i mean the, the my first losing year after my first winning year but um yeah that was that was, the cold truth hurt at that point it was uh it finally caught up to me and okay now i understand why everyone says this is so hard damn near impossible and uh over 90 percent of the people fail doing this
1: <laughs> all right so let's Let's just uh, bring listeners up to speed and put things into perspective here. So from what I understand, it was the next uh, eight years that followed from there where you pretty much uh, had losing year after losing year after losing year. Is that right? That's
2: right. Yeah, seven years um, to be exact. And it was for those seven years at the end of every year, I was in the red.
1: Okay. So
2: and again, it's just... Yeah, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I really want to dive into this because I think there's a lot of value in really kind of dissecting this and finding out why it took you so long, how you managed to break through and all that sort of good stuff. So, I mean, probably one of the first questions I'd like to ask you around this, um, you know, seven years losing year after year, it's got to be painful. How were you able to sustain these losses and what sort of things did you do to manage your risk during this time?
2: Okay. So great, great questions because after my second year of trading, I had my first year winning second year, I lost all everything. I won the first year. And at that point I realized, okay, you know, it's, it's easy to lose or it felt better to lose money that I'd made from trading in the markets, but it really hurt to lose money that I worked hourly for, you know, that I, I worked on the side, you know, I had a real, I, I, I worked legitimate, you know, I don't want to say legitimate before, but, you know, I, I, I worked as, as my job, my work, you know, my business, a lot harder to lose that kind of money than it was to lose profits I'd already made in the market. So once I started losing, um, you know, job money, my work money, uh, that was that's when the emotions just, that's when it just felt terrible. It just felt so hard because it would, I'd lose it so fast and it would take me, you know, so long, so many hours, you know, X amount of hours to, I'd have to work to like re, re make up for, for those losses in the market. And so that's when I started understanding and I just went, whoa, okay. I don't know what I'm doing. This was very misleading for me to have a su- successful first year. And I clearly did not do well the second year, and I think I'm starting to know that I don't know any. You know, I don't know anything really. I thought I knew all this stuff my first year. I don't, and that's when I put my size in check, and that's when I said, okay, since I don't know, and I've got a lot to learn, I am going to seriously dramatically size down, and I basically went to just trading very small you know I I don't think over I say on average maybe uh five five thousand dollar positions and you know sometimes I might get up to close to ten but I I just kept it in check I never I never ballooned up because I didn't want to I didn't want to do more damage than than I could uh recover from but that was that was tremendous for me because uh and it's not to say I didn't have you know, spurts of profitability in those seven years. It's just that I, you know, I would be, I'd hit periods of profitability and I do well for some amount of time, but it was just inevitable that it just dried up and the drawdowns would return. And I just would continue to just lose back on the drawdown. You know, I'm I'm back to losing money and and got it, you know, got a wait for something to change or got to change what I'm doing. I try and change what I was doing and I tried all kinds of things. And some of that just led me off in the worst directions, I think. But a lot of it was just, I think, having poor habits for a large number of years. And also because I own my own business, I wasn't, I wasn't starving. So I didn't really have, like dire motivation. So I was, I was making a good living working for myself. So I had income. So even though I might've been in the red for seven years, you know, Hey, I'll add a little bit more money each year, you know, every six months to refund and make my accounts healthy again. And, uh, you know, hope for the best. (laughs) I mean, that's basically what it was.
1: Okay. So you said you had like some spurts of profitability, Do you recall maybe what was your greatest winning streak? Like, were you profitable for, say, three months in a row or anything like that? Or,
2: yeah, maybe, maybe nothing that, that good. (laughs) Maybe more like I was, you know, I'd hit maybe uh, three weeks where I'd do really well. And then it was, you know, it was always, it was always, man, it was always three steps forward and five steps back. Anytime I hit some X steps forward, I was taking, more than X steps backwards, uh, it was just a matter of time in those seven years. It was just really hard.
1: Okay. And how frequently were you trading during this period, just sort of on average, were you trading, you know, five day trades each day or was it something, you know, a couple yeah, of so, a Yeah. So,
2: so a couple years into it, I'm, I don't really know, but at some point, maybe if I was, if I was to guess, I'd say maybe, um, three years into it, um, maybe a little less, two and a half years. I don't know, somewhere around there. I, uh, I, I, I kept funding my accounts and, and I'd have, I probably had one account at that time and I got over 25,000. So I was getting a taste of day traders margin and, um, the ability to fly in and out as frequently as I wanted to with as much as I wanted to, and not being shackled by the pattern day trader rule. So that, that was really good. But, um, you know, in in hindsight, even though I had over twenty five thousand in the account, I almost wish like I didn't because I probably would have saved a lot of time and money had I had had I been under the pattern day trader rule. Probably would have been more of a service to me than a disservice. You know, I think a lot of people see it as a disservice, and it is. But I mean, I mean, the reason it exists is to quote protect people, uh, at least the people that were as degenerate gambling. Had degenerate gambling habits like I did, you know. I think that's why the pattern day trader rule to to protect us from losing all our all our money so quickly, at least.
1: So, so how were you affected by the pattern day trader rule uh, when your account was under twenty five grand uh, in the beginning?
2: Yeah. So, so when I break under twenty five thousand, it was like, okay, now I'm now I'm shackled, right? I, I, I'm under, I'm shackled by the pattern day trader rule. So then I would just do my best to. <laughs> either trade my way back above it, even if I did, it, was, I was always nervous because I was so damn close to it, or I'd go, all right, I'll just throw in another five grand and uh, you know boost me up above it so I don't have to keep being so paranoid about it that I'm gonna break it and get get below it again and, and lose my all my freedoms of flying in and out of stuff as I like, please.
1: Yeah, okay, so it was kind of like that $25,000 point was like a psychological level Completely. for you in some ways.
2: Oh man, I I think I still have nightmares about it, even though it's not really a problem for me anymore. It's It's just an old nightmare that won't leave me alone.
3: Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: I presume it probably came up in conversation as you're talking about your friends. Your friends might ask you how you're going with, how's your trading going? You know, you've been at it for a while now and, you know, you can't really say like, oh, I'm making much progress. What did they kind of make of it? What did your partner think of it? Um, Yeah, I'm keen to hear.
2: So I wasn't too, I was doing really well with my business on the side, well enough that I could fund my accounts and because I kept my size in check, when I was trading, it was just a, a slow bleed over time. And even though I was bleeding out for seven years, it's not like I was taking, you know, 20% hits of my of an account on a single trade or anything, you know. So I, I was always around, you know, I was always just trying to figure it out. I had deep, deep aspirations. I had, I had passion for the markets. I knew one day, I hoped one day, I mean, I'd figure it out and... I, I would I would rise and stand up, you know, and and banish all these losses I've had, and and figure out what I was missing, and find that holy grail, you know, that I've been looking for, and 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 just always consider myself an intelligent person, and I, I love solving problems and puzzles and whatnot, and I've just always been missed, you know, mesmerized by the stock market and and just drawn to it since I was ever exposed to it, and I just always thought I could I could figure it out. So when friends, you know girlfriends and whatnot at the time and friends friends of mine would ask me hey how's it going you know man I just tell them this shit's tough <laughs> you know it's like the, the problem was I told them all my first year how how great I was and, and I was so proud of myself about for my first my success for my first year when they kept asking me later on hey you know how are things now and I was going well you know I, I <laughs> I'm getting a reality check I He's getting my ass handed to me and good thing I'm keeping my size small because if I wasn't, I think I would have blown up by now because, uh, that was definitely the course I was on and seriously, the only, only thing that kept me going as long as I did was minimizing my size just cause just knowing I didn't know when people ask me, I was, I always feel good. You know, being happy is a habit. I, I try not to let the, the money affect me, but it's, it's hard losing money for seven years on something you're so passionate about. So when someone tells you that's close to you, hey, how's it going? How are you? How are things? You know, I'd, I'd love to tell them, hey, things are great. But, you know, instead I just smile on my face that like, this this is hard. And uh, I'm, I'm determined to figure it out. But as the years went on, yeah, I definitely started doubting myself. You know, maybe this isn't for me or whatever, but um, I, I, I pulled through. You know, I, I, I was just honest with people when they asked. I didn't. I don't think anyone was worried I was going to lose all my money. Not that I had a ton of money, but I think everyone believed in me around me and that, that helped me keep doing what I was doing too, even if I was losing money.
1: <laughs> so speak to us about that doubt, you know what I mean? Because I think there's a lot of us who, who do experience some doubt, especially when we've been sort of chipping away at this for a few years and it feels like sometimes we're just spinning our wheels. We're not making a whole... A great deal of progress. How did you overcome or push through those doubts? Like what kind of kept you going? I think I had hope
2: from the periods of profitability I would encounter. I I just, something inside me said, there's got to be more to that than luck. And I just got to figure it out. Like there's got to be more than just luck to that. And it, I mean, if it was just luck, then fine. You know, why am I even doing this? Because I'm proving that if it was luck alone, I'm, I'm losing money more than I'm making money. So but uh, I think that's what that's what even though I'd encounter those doubts, that's what held me together. It was my, you know, determination, perseverance, if you will. But uh, just I was, I was just convinced it had to be more than luck. It, you know, poker is a game of 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 skill and luck. It's got, it's got both factors. And I definitely today think that now more than ever about the stock market. Um, but back then I was just hoping it was more than luck. And the glimpse of that was those periods of profitability I would, I would hit. And when I hit them, I'd love them and it'd feel great. It was just unfortunate that my poor habits and would basically I attribute to the inevitable drawdowns returning.
1: Yeah. So what do you think were the were the aspects of trading that you found most challenging to come to grips with?
2: Just, man, it seemed like no matter what, like it was really hard for me to understand. I'd learn patterns. I love patterns and whatnot, but I'd learn a pattern and I'd see it work. Some, I mean, obviously nothing's going to work 100% of the time, but to see a pattern that looked like it would succeed. And it, it was the same looks like a similar setup the past 10 times I'd seen it succeed. And then to have it fail, that was really hard for me to accept because because I wanted it to succeed because I wanted me to succeed. And I think I was, I, mean, I was just pressing a lot of um, beliefs um, to, you know, a lot of hopes into what I was doing instead of, being more of an observer and more objective in taking a step back you know i was i was much more forceful trying to to make make things work and there is a lot i mean there's a lot of aspects about trading that's that are challenging no doubt
1: yeah so if i was to kind of summarize what you what you said there it sounds as though you were trying to trade what you wanted to happen instead of trading what was actually happening like you were trying Definitely. to sort of push your beliefs onto the markets um, yeah and override what was actually going on so let's cut to more recent times now uh, I think we're going back about 14 months or so now um, and obviously for anyone who's listening to this uh, sometime in the future we're recording this uh, September 2015. So, what was your turning point? What changed that you were able to go from a losing trader to a winning trader? What was what was significant about how, what was a significant change in how you approach things?
2: Okay, great question. First, I may have misheard you, but I think you said 2015.
1: Oh, um God. We're recording this.
2: You <laughs> know, <and> I, <was, laughs> I just want to be clear. 2016. I might be wrong. I may have misheard
1: you, but... Um, you didn't mishear me. That's uh, that's quite embarrassing. Yeah, that's uh, oh, no. <laughs> maybe I wish it was Man, 2015 it still. <laughs>
2: embarrassing is losing money for seven years straight and uh, and not doing anything different. Sure. Um, to to answer your question, what what finally made me flip the switch after about eight years, I I reached the end of my. I just I couldn't take it anymore, and I I just had a. A serious sit-down talk with myself. <laughs> I might as well have been looking in a mirror. And I was just, you know, hey man, I've been doing this for eight years. I am sick and tired of adding money. I'm sick and tired of taking money I work for on the side, income I make, and depositing it, adding it to my trading accounts and just slowly losing it over time. You know, it's not sustainable. I need, I need something, I need to prove to myself that Hey, yeah, it's great to be passionate about the stock market, but man, I need to see some serious results and prove to myself this isn't just some pipe dream that isn't ever going to happen and that I am able to do this. And man, Aaron, I wish I would have done that years and years before I did, because that's, that was the catalyst for all my major changes to lead me to become a consistently profitable trader. I mean, there's there's so many things. I'd say all of these are factors, but it's hard to say any one of them was, I mean, they're, they're all to different degrees important, obviously, but it's hard for me to pinpoint the most important ones. But two years ago, I, I went full time. So I had a perfect environment for trading stocks. I I had no, no competing, no competition from, from work, from, you know, anything. So I, I, I was in charge of my own schedule. So I could, I could be there when this, you know, when the stock market's over and I'm trading stocks, you know, I had my full attention. I didn't have any competing forces. That was major. So all those other eight years, I was trading part-time trading at work, trading when I shouldn't have been trading and it hardly ever worked out well, unless I got lucky. But um, So going full-time two years ago was a big deal. Uh, Not only that, this is surprising though, but I've always been actually a really private person, and I've never really been on social media. I've never had a Facebook account. I still don't. I've never had a MySpace account. I've never had uh, LinkedIn or Instagram or Snapchat or I don't know all the crazy kids and what they use today. (laughs) I don't do any of that stuff. And so all those eight years I was trading, I was trading alone and I was by myself and I had basically no one to compare myself to. And that created an environment for me to just float around and go nowhere or even a little south because I lost money for, for so long once I discovered Twitter, oh my gosh, that just changed everything for me because I got plugged in, man. I went from being passionate about the stock market and knowing no one and seeing what other traders were doing to being passionate about the stock market and getting plugged in to the to Twitter where all the traders are. And I could see what everyone was doing. And oh, that just made the world of a difference because surrounding yourself with, with people that are better than you is 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 huge. And since for those eight years I've surrounded myself with no one, that's you know, that's a factor of why I went nowhere. So once I discovered I I discovered IU and Nate and I learned about shorting. I mean for those eight years I traded, I was long only. I didn't I didn't I knew about shorting it later on, but I didn't even know you could short cheap stocks, you know, low price per share stocks. I I just kept going long, you know, bad habits, I guess. Once I discovered IU and hey, there's multimillionaire traders in this chat room. Wow. Let's see what that's about. So I got plugged in there and I just started watching, uh, what other people were doing between IU and Twitter, man, that just really gave me the social connection to other traders where I could, I could thrive because, uh, I'm, I'm a competitive person myself in a good way. And I think competition brings out the best in some people and the worst in others. But for me, I think it brings out the best in me. And I don't know why I went eight years trying without any competition, but once I was able to surround great people around me, then I, then I was able to start asking myself, Hey, you know, these guys are humans just like you, you know, what, what are they, why, why can't you do what they're doing? Not that I'm a multimillionaire trader, but you know they're consistently profitable why can't you know why am i not consistently profitable like it's not like you know it's not like i have worse luck than them i mean we're all getting the same luck in the market like what it's the skills like what are they doing that i'm not doing or what are they not doing that i am doing and and that was that was a big factor also
1: okay so i mean there were a few things which had a big impact on on your own trading so you know, they were your working environment. You went full time into this, so you weren't competing uh, with your day to day job. You kind of reached a snapping point, and you had a, a big mind shift. And getting plugged in with other traders, like meeting others who were doing what you wanted to be doing, and were better at it. So, uh, no, that's that's really cool. Now, I do want to ask you, how did you prepare to go full time trading? Uh, Did you have a significant amount of savings? Uh, Did you cut down on how much work you were actually doing or did you just straight up close the doors one day? How did you actually prepare to go full-time trading?
2: So I actually still own my business. I just am not trying to grow it like I used to try and grow it. It is big enough that I am comfortable and I can choose my own schedule and i decided i no longer want to work on site you know i want to work from home and so i just do my own thing at home on my own hours and that gives me the ability to trade as i please and that 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 was a big deal um so yeah, I, have, I do have savings. I do. It's it's that definitely helped also making the switch. But um, just just being in charge of my own thing. I mean, that's really it's it's tough to beat that kind of freedom, and I feel very fortunate to to have it. I really do.
1: Let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about how you're actually trading today. Let's let's dig into your actual methodology. Um, so you know, how are you trading today? What is your approach? If you had to. Uh, define it for us.
2: So, I love shorting. I'd say I'm 90% a short seller, I think. I'd say I guess about 10% of my trades are longs, maybe less. And my ideal short is what they call flying pigs, junk microcap companies that are starving for cash, laden with debt, have, you know, they're just terrible companies and they're they're hurting and they're forced to do dirty things to raise money. And when they do those dirty things, like put out fluffy PRs, and you get these stocks gapping up, you know, 30, 50, 80, 100%, or something silly, whatever it is, I'm, I'm highly interested. Those are, those are great things. Good, good opportunities there.
1: <laughs> so, how do you find these junk stocks, as you call them?
2: I find them every morning by just looking at um, what's moving in the market and pre-market. Uh, what's what's gapping up? What's uh, what what volume breakouts do we have? What stocks are are up today on more volume in pre-market than they've had for the average volume the past uh, you know twenty day you know month? Is their volume in pre-market up four hundred percent from there? Well, I want to know about it. Uh, but it even it could be even much simpler much more simple than that. It could just be a high a day gainers list in pre-market. You know, what's flying high? What's flying high this morning?
1: Okay, so you said a little bit just before your ideal short setup or your ideal short stock that you would short would have some sort of fluffy PR around it or they've done something sketchy to try and raise the price of their stock. Looking at your uh, pre-market gainers list and that sort of thing, that's obviously looking at the price. Do you also need some sort of story to support this?
2: Sure. So as I encounter what a lot of us call pigs, I have a pig list, which is just a watch list I've titled pigs. And I recommend anyone that's interested in shorting pigs do this if they're not already doing it. But it's a very simple idea. Probably a lot of people are already doing it. I didn't think I invented it. <laughs> when I encounter a pig i add it to the list and over time my pig list grows right now i think i'm up to i have maybe a little more than 200 pigs in my list and this makes future when they run in the future you know former runner so as they tend to pop up a lot of traders know how they traded in the past I always have my pig list up, sorted by net percent change on the day. And as something starts flying, if it's a pig, it's if it's on my pig list, I already know I'm interested in shorting it. I don't have any homework to do. I don't need to go looking at the SEC filings to see what's going on. Although, you know, I might look up at the headline to see, okay, well, why is it moving? You know, why is it? I definitely want to know why it's moving today. Is it up? Is there is there is it up on nothing? Is it just up? Because traders are just buying it up, you know, it's just chasing it up because it's low float. Or is there some kind of fluffy PR? Is there, you know, is there some kind of or is there an SEC filing? You know, what's the reason it's up? And, and try and understand why it's up. And but as long as it's on the pig list, I know I'm interested in shorting it. Once they start moving again, it's just a question of when and at what price.
1: Okay. Well, that's the next question I want to ask you is when do you actually go short? So obviously you're identifying these stocks pre-market, which are significantly above the close of the prior day. At what point are you looking for a short opportunity to actually enter?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, ideally I'd probably be waiting for the backside, you know, for it to go as high as it's going and then for it to, if it's going to fade off, fade off, or if it's going to snap VWAP or crack or whatever it's doing, um, high a day rejection, stuff off the high, whatever it is, and then just get in there because that's typically much safer water to jump into for the short seller. Um, but it's not to say I don't like a thrill, although that might be ideal. I tend to start shorting on the front side, which isn't which is definitely a lot harder than shorting the backside of the move you know you're basically stepping in front of a train and you wish you don't just wish for the best but you you try and identify where you think it might top or at least that's what i'm doing and uh i'm just trying to read the chart and see read the chart the volume see how it's responding to vwap and make a make an educated guess
1: Okay. So like you said, I mean, it could, some people might interpret this as stand in front of a train. Oh, Um,
2: definitely. Momentum is dangerous if you're a short seller.
1: So how do you manage your risk in that case? Because I imagine, you know, if you, if you time this wrong, you could be very wrong very quickly. How do you go about managing your risk?
2: So part of the, you know, the, it's kind of goes back to that similar answer from how did I lose money for seven years straight and just st- was still alive to, to keep being in the stock market. And it's, for me, it's controlling my size. I don't, um, I'm not a, I'm not a gunslinging cowboy. I don't, I don't size up. I'm not, I'm not throwing size around like a lot of other traders do. And I'm not saying that's bad that they do that. It's just for me, I still have a lot to learn about the, about trading and I'm always going to be learning about trading, but I still have a lot to learn in the sense that although I've learned incredible amounts more than I used to enough that I feel comfortable, you know, I can step in front of, on the short side or on on front side and get short. Um, I'm keeping my size controlled so that if something rips against me and goes you know, just ridiculous, uh, parabolic or something, you know, I'm not sitting in there with my entire account sweating bullets now, cause I'm definitely not trying to put myself in very, very bad situations like I used to do. And I'm much more aware of that. So yeah, controlling size is is definitely my answer. So scaling helps, you know, if you're a one bullet shooter, it's kind of hard for the guys that are under the pattern day trader rule, because they can't really, they can't scale because they got, they got one shot, you know, or two shots or whatever, you know, however many bullets they got. And that's about it for their, you know, for a few days uh, until they get their, their bullets back to, to take some trades, but um, scaling, scaling and, and um, controlling size is, is how I stay safe.
1: Okay. And on any given, trade or, or short opportunity that you've identified, how many times are you willing to be wrong before you let it go and just move on? Like if you get in and, you know, let's say you have a stop uh, higher up that gets hit, taken out, uh, you're out of the market, do you attempt to go short again X number of times before you just leave that alone?
2: Yeah, I used to not do that. I used to, I try it once, maybe twice. And then if, hit, you know, if I if it got to my risk level, I just took my loss and then it seemed like inevitably it would finally do what I wanted it to. And I was just watching it, not participating and I'd go, man should have taken it again. But, um, some stocks are very, very, very difficult. I'm sure a lot of traders have the same thoughts. You know, you have an idea on it and you, you, you take it and it didn't work. You take your loss and then you could try that. And some of these stocks, I swear they're doing it just to mess with you. And you might try it, you know, four, eight, 12, 15, you know, 15 times. And you're just exhausted taking small losses on it. But, you know, then you get easier ones that they just crack and you you just get in there and you just hold on for the fade and you get paid. There's all kinds of different animals in, in these charts. And there's so many different types of plays, too. It's just a lot of patterns and and a lot of opportunities to make use of.
1: Mm, mm. Okay. So just slightly changing the subject, you know, looking at your Twitter feed, it's clear to see you're massive on documenting your trades. I don't know if you've always been this way, but what exactly do you do? Like what do you go through and how do you document your trades?
2: Sure. Um, so (laughs) <laughs> when I finally reached the end of my rope and was like, I need to see some results in my trading because I just been losing money for so long. Part of that was, I realized that, you know, you can't improve what you don't measure. And I think some people will argue, you know, well, your account balance is what is the metric. That's how, that's how you measure. But for me, I needed something more than that. And I started tracking my PL. And to not be that degenerate gambler who's just pulling the handle on the slot machine time after time after time again, even though it stops work, you know, even though it's not working, I wanted to start tracking my journey and see what I could learn from it. And it seemed to me from some of the books I read that, you know, tracking your equity or your PL and l curve is a, is a good metric of of how you're how you're performing, so I thought, wow, that's interesting. I haven't done that for eight years. Maybe I should start now. You know, I'm trying to make big changes to make this trading thing work. I should start doing that. So I got a Twitter account, and I said, all right, man. You know, everything. You know, whatever I trade today, I'm gonna put it on Twitter for the world to see, and it's not really so much for those people for everyone to see it was for it was for me it was for my own benefit to help me stop being a degenerate gambler in that sense and to be more responsible and to hold myself accountable for my trading decisions each and every day and that helped me get a handle on my overtrading that helped me get a handle on my being impatient. That helped me get a handle on becoming consistent. It it helped. I there's a lot of people that don't believe in posting PL. I'm pretty certain I'm outvoted. A lot of people don't think it's a good thing for the trader to do that. Me personally, I so firmly believe for me that it was a factor and i even think to say a large factor in helping me go from being a losing trader to a, a consistently profitable trader because it, the amount of accountability and response feeling of responsibility that it provided me thinking that all these other traders were looking over my shoulder Not that they were, not that I had all these followers or anything. I mean, I didn't have any followers when I first started doing it. But again, I I was doing it for me, not for other people. Um, It just, man, it changed something in my head. And I started making much better decisions when I, that was definitely a factor to me making much, much better trading decisions. Kept me from being reckless because I was, I was very easy to be reckless for a lot of years. I could You know, I could go from zero to reckless extremely quickly. And I don't do that anymore at all. I try not to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like what you're saying there because when you do post, uh, you know, your P&L and when you are – not so much that. When you do have that accountability, I mean, it's very easy to lie to yourself. As much as you don't want to do it, it's very easy to do. But when you've actually got – like as you described it, there's someone looking over your shoulder – you know that accountability and actually having to lie to someone else is is very difficult or well, for most Definitely. people anyway but um i just want to throw in there actually um you know measuring your pnl i think is probably quite effective when you're at least a profitable trader uh, when you're not a profitable trader up until that point it can be quite difficult to measure your success in terms of pnl and uh futures trader 71 who was on episode 82 uh, has a really good bit about um, how other ways to measure your success or your progress, I should say, um, besides your p So if anyone wants to hear more about that, chatwithtraders.com forward slash 82.
2: I think I want to hear more. I think I'll be listening to that one because <laughs> that, that sounds great.
1: Yeah, no, he's awesome. Uh, definitely check out that episode with FT71. He's the man. That's cool. That's cool.
2: Yeah, for me, when once I started, when I could see that I was building a spreadsheet and putting my... My daily PL in it and it would change what my PL curve was doing. I felt like I was, I had something tangible. Like I was, I felt for the first time ever, I was in the driver's seat and I was going, okay, I can make good decisions so that I can end the day in the green and my line, my curve will go up. And I, I felt like I was drawing something slowly over time each day and. I felt like an artist. Like I was, you know, I was like, wow, this is really cool. You know, I, I want I wanted, I want a really nice line and it helped me w- making my decisions when I was trading and going before I took a trade, I go, you know, what, is this really a good trade to take? Is this just a substandard trade? I should be skipping, you know, is this really a trade that I want to affect my p curve? Because if it's, if it's not, I don't need to be, tra- I don't need to be trading it. I'll just wait for a better setup. And and that was that was a big deal for me.
1: I really like how you framed that as in is this a trade I want to be affecting my PL or my equity curve? I think that's that's a really good way of looking at it. That's cool. So just to wrap this up here, what suggestions do you have for traders who are just starting out today? If there was just maybe one or two things you could share with them, you've already shared a ton of great insight, but just to wind things down one or two things to take away what would you suggest to them
2: i we just we just got done saying it but you can't improve what you don't measure and for me that was that was creating a, a PL curve and tracking my my daily PL, along with some other stats that i've in, i've included also but um, the, the other trader you mentioned had some good ideas you said about for beginner traders or struggling traders for tracking uh and measuring you know some kind of metrics that they're using whatever it is take a scientific approach and measure what you're doing please if you're not it's i really think it can help you gain insight into what you're doing and why you're doing it that was a big deal for me another thing is habits uh i i'm i'm a firm believer in you know good trading is synonymous with good habits. And when you have bad habits, I had bad habits for eight years and it, it was very hard for me to unlearn those habits and create better, good habits. And if you're just starting out, it's it's great because you can start out from not having bad habits and you can develop good habits, habits from the get-go. Um, but if you've been struggling a while, identify what you're what you're struggling on. You know, are you over trading? Are you impatient? Are you just gambling? You know, are you just, we all have the same problems. It's just identify what you're doing wrong. And, and, you know, what they often, you know, it's very common to say a a chain is as strong as its weakest link. Find your weakest link and focus on it. You know, pick on yourself, you know, what, what can you do to become a stronger person and a stronger trader? And lastly, I traded in solid, you know, by myself for, for eight years, I'm a competitive person. If you are too, surround yourself with, with great traders, surround yourself with traders that are, are similar to you or a little better and like-minded, you know, um, I have, I have trading buddies I trade with, you know, TWB 52 shout out to him for trade, shout out to him. Those guys were like-minded people and we, we trade the same things and we, you know, if you're out there hunting, if you're, if you're just one wolf hunting for food, you're, you're not going to eat like you are if you're out there hunting with more, more wolves or another wolf or, or you have a team of wolves or a pack of wolves that are, that are like-minded and, are, and are, are looking to feed on the same thing. So, you know, connect with other people, see, see what, find people that are like you and uh, see what you guys can do. You know, it's, it's the Boy Scout system, you know, I, I I used to be a Boy Scout, I don't remember what it is, but have their back, you know, and they'll have your back and, and keep you, keep, try and keep each other out of, out of trouble and just do your best and always learn, man.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. Nico, where is the best place listeners can go to find out more about you?
2: Right now, it would probably just be, I, I, I always, I guess my Twitter. So at, uh, inefficient, Inefficient MRKT. And that's my Twitter handle. Um, I think I'm going to start a blog though, because over the past 14 months, I've had a tremendous amount of people ask me for my spreadsheet that I created where I track my stats and my da- daily PL and my PL curve. And I think I'm actually going to be releasing it very, very shortly into the wild for everyone to use because um, I know a lot of people use. TraderView, I think it might be called. I think it's free. Anyways, I don't know much about it, but um, if there's a lot to be said for for just whatever it is, if you're using TraderView, great. If you don't want to pay for a service like that, I got a spreadsheet you can use. If you like what I'm doing, you could modify this spreadsheet however you please. And um, you know, I'd love to just—I've gotten an extreme amount of support from a lot of people for what I've been doing for the past 14 months, and I just want to say thank you, guys. And and hey, if if you're not consistently profitable, I'd love to help you as much as I can. Send me a message.
1: Very good. So at inefficient MKT on Twitter. That's it, right? I think yeah. I think it's MRKT. MRKT. Okay, market without the vowels. There you go. Cool. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and um, probably if anyone wants to get uh, that spreadsheet that you're going to be releasing. Very soon, probably the best thing to do is follow you on Twitter because I'm sure you'll put the word out then when it's available, yeah?
2: Perfect. Absolutely.
1: Cool. Well, Nico, I just want to say thanks a lot for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Aaron, thanks for having me. I'm honored. I appreciate it.
0: You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon.